Hello, you guys. You've got Francesca. And Melissa. RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. That's right. Heard every Wednesday right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Yeah. Yeah, and we're we're Jessie-less again, but that's okay. She's going to be listening. She's with us in spirit, as always. Yes. We've got a a Jessie in our pocket. That's it. That's it. So today, we're going to continue our tour de la district. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a guest with us tonight. It's a little split up. We're sorry. We apologize for that. But... We're very happy you were able to join us. I am so delighted to have made it, and thank Yay! you very much for having me. It's I... Scott Barlow of the Second District, our uh, school, board school board representative. Scott, 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 Scott. Scott, 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 Scott. I am indeed, yeah. And uh, I, so I represent the Second District. That includes a number of neighborhoods, uh, certainly in the sort of the center part of the city. So we've got the VCU area, the Fan, Scott's Edition, Jackson Ward, Carver, and then you've got some neighborhoods on the north side as well. So you've got parts of Sherwood Park and Rosedale, and uh, it's a really diverse, really neat uh, district. And then as far as schools go, uh, we have uh, Carver Elementary, which is near and dear to me. I love the elementary schools that we've got. We've got Carver and Fox. And then we also have a lot of students who end up going to Holton, and we've got students who go to Binford, and we also have two specialty schools in the school district, our two regional schools, so the Maggie Walker Governor School, and I'm on the board of that, as well as Code RVA, and then we also have the Richmond Technical Center and Richmond Alternative. So we've got a, a various offerings, a lot of different opportunities to uh, to learn in the district for students of varying needs and specialties. How did you find yourself running for school board? Yeah, so when I first moved to Richmond, I was trying to find ways to make friends in the area and uh, really didn't know how to go about doing that, having graduated law school and moving to a new city. And I started getting involved with different organizations and ended up uh, getting involved with the Richmond Young Democrats and had some really great friends in that organization. And uh, my contention is that they heard me pontificate one too many times about issues with our public school system and I've been kind of kind of keenly aware of issues in the public school system throughout the country because I come from a family of teachers uh, so my mom and aunt were both uh, teachers elementary school teachers in title one schools my aunt still is in Chicago yeah shout out to the teachers yes yes absolutely and then I've got uh, another aunt and an uncle my uncle since they've both since passed but they were both public school teachers and my grandma and great-grandmother were also teachers oh so you come by this honestly yeah, <laughs> interest in school. Yeah, are you a teacher? I I am not a teacher in the formal sense, but I have helped students prepare for the bar exam in the past. Oh, there you go. And uh, big students. <laughs> big students, yeah, and and that's a really stressful time in a student's uh, life when they're going through that process. So intelligent, stressed out students, coaching people through tears and bottles <laughs> of wine, stuff like that. And then, uh, so yeah, so I got involved with them, and a few weeks in, they I sort of got put up to run for uh, the head of the Education Caucus for the Virginia Young Democrats, and uh, got got involved there. And then uh, I saw locally there were funding issues, so I started getting involved with the Support Our Schools group. And there's some really inspirational teachers and community members who uh, who are in that group and continue to advocate for more funding for the school system. So then, by the time 
Kim Gray decided that she was going to run for council, I started to get a lot of encouragement to consider the school board seat. In, in fact, I was actually at a, um, a fundraiser for Tim Kaine. It was celebrating his 10th uh, anniversary of having become governor. And Charlie Deardor comes up to my friend Charlie. <laughs> Charlie was planning okay. on running for city council. He yeah, lives in yes. the second district. He's very involved, very passionate, very well known. And he came up to me and my friend Alexis and said, hey, I hear Kim Gray is going to be running for for city council, can I have your support? And before Alexis said anything, she spurted out, well, then I think Scott should run for school board. Oh, really? That's how you feel? And uh, I love Charlie, but he gets around, he talks to a lot of people, and he started telling people throughout the district, <laughs> <laughs> this guy Scott. By the way, Scott's running for school board. <laughs> so, so it kind of got out ahead of me entirely. <laughs> and I hadn't really been considering it until then, but then I was going to more school board meetings. You're like, rumor has it I'm running for school board. <laughs> so, right. so I guess I should start getting yeah. some signatures. Exactly. So I, I ended up uh, talking to other people who were considering running, and uh, I ended up getting some support from some of those folks, and then kind of kind of went for it. And I was 28 at the time, uh, relatively new to Richmond by a politician's typical standards, I'd, I'd think. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's been an incredible experience so far, an amazing way to, to be able to give back. So I'm really honored to do it. That's so a good story. <laughs> it was. It was. And I, I totally believe it because I ran into Charlie Deardor during that season before, right before he started to declare he was going to run mm -hmm. at the car wash, at the car at wash. The car. And he had no idea who I was. And so he's sitting down beside me and he's talking and he's like, let me give you my card. <laughs> he gives me his card and he's like, by the way, I'm gonna run for city council. I wish I'd have your support. And I'm like, um, oh, okay. And I was like, all right. And I was like, I don't live in the city though, so. <laughs> but I'll pass it on. He was like, oh, okay, give me my card back. <laughs> Those aren't cheap. Those aren't cheap. These campaigns are expensive to run. I was like, dang, Charlie. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. All right, so let's talk about your campaign promises. What did you tell your constituents? What did you run on? You know, sure. this is what I'm going to do for you guys in the second district. Yeah, so I think it's always challenging for people who are getting involved to balance the interests of their district versus the interests of the city and the students throughout the city. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, coming from the second district where you do have Fox and you do have Carver and you do have different student populations at those schools, you end up talking to people about very different needs. Uh, but to me, it's always been important to really focus on the needs of the students in our city and elsewhere who have the greatest need. You know, I think back to when my mom was teaching, uh, she was teaching on the south side of Atlanta and we were living in the northern suburbs. And I'd go uh, and help out in her classroom and come back and it was, um, it was really eye-opening to see the disparities between these different communities. And it's when I started confronting the idea of institutional racism and, uh, and why certain schools are getting more funding than others. Uh, so that, that's that been on my radar for a long time. It's something that I've been passionate about to my core. Uh, so that's that was something that I was talking about a lot, and as, particularly speaking to the experiences I had helping out in the classroom and seeing those types of differences and why my school had great uh, brand new uh, you know, $35 million high school, and my mom was cleaning mold off of the desks mm. from a 100-year-old basement to make sure she had enough desks in her classroom, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, you know, when I started getting involved with groups like Support Our Schools and people who were uh, working on funding issues and things like that, it became really clear to me that that's not just an Atlanta issue and it's not just a Chicago issue. Right. Uh, I lived in Philly. Issue. I saw that stuff happening in Philly. It's not just a Philly issue, but that's an issue that's a, a really significant problem here. So another sort of core tenant of what I was focusing on was uh, was really advocating for more funding 
funds for the schools. And that's something that I think, you know, is also challenging as a school board member. We have control over what we're allocated to a large degree, not entirely, but we don't have the ability to raise our own funds, of course. Um, in any kind of meaningful way. So it's really important to me, was then and is now, to work with people in the city and work with people on the state level to try to address some of the funding shortfalls that we have. And I think it's a particularly important time to be having these discussions given that the General Assembly's in session, we're kicking off the budget season uh, between you know the schools uh, proposing our initial budget and then the, the mayor and the city coming back with uh, you know what they're going to ultimately give us. And then uh, generally speaking, I've always been kind of a social justice-y kind of guy. When I was in law school, I got to work on a lawsuit against the Philadelphia Police Department for racial discrimination. I got to work for the Innocence Project, and those were things that were really important to me then. I got to work in City Hall there, and then I also saw teachers going on strike. I uh, saw a lot of wealth in, the, in certain parts of the community and uh, schools that were being systemically underfunded there, and it was really on my radar when I'm in school and focusing on all these policy things all the time. Yeah. And then you see it playing out, you know, on the streets of the city. Affecting people's lives. Exactly. And uh, so I guess that's why that sort of reinforced my passion for it, even though I didn't go into, uh, you know, education in the formal sense, just seeing those types of issues has has, uh, always inspired me. Of those things that you just talked about, what can we check off? It's a two year, this is like a halfway mark, you know? Yeah. What can you say? Yeah, do you feel like you've made some major strides in your first two years? Yeah, you know, I think an important part of addressing these issues is to be engaged in the dialogue, uh, to be an elected representative who is willing to talk about these types of issues. One thing that I do know, and this isn't exclusive to Richmond, but it's definitely the case in Richmond, is that uh, some of this change is slow. Yeah. You move real slow. My glasses in wintertime. Right. So, Backwards. Um, you know, especially coming off of the 2016 election, it seemed to me like education was the issue that everyone was talking about mm-hmm. yeah. and everyone's still talking about it. But I, I don't think that we've been seeing, you know, large increases in funding to a large you know, to a large degree, certainly not in operations funding and stuff yeah. like that. So uh, I wouldn't say that my job here is done. <laughs> right. But there there have been, you know, really important things that I think I've uh, had an opportunity to play a cool role in. Uh, so we have, we, I don't know if you saw, but the state uh, Board of Education and the Virginia Department of Education uh, ended up kind of subjecting us to a memorandum of understanding. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've been working with the state for the past couple of years or past year and a half or so to um, put in place a corrective action plan. So basically an agreement between the state and uh, RPS to take certain actions to try to improve the schools. And when I first saw that, it really gave me pause. I was pretty nervous about it. You know, it kind of felt like takeover-y. Yeah, uh, sure, yeah. So Especially s- when <laughs> no, no bag of money came with it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and Well, and it's interesting that you bring that up in particular because what I was trying to do, and I'm a lawyer by trade, so I negotiate contracts for a living. You know, I saw this and I'm like, well, what's our negotiating strength here? You know, how can we go about getting some positive changes into the MOU? And there were some important changes made, but really we didn't have, you know, the, you know, as many chips as you need to, to really force your hand. So we, one of the things that I tried to get added to the MOU was uh, the state helping us assess where there may be funding shortfalls. So we can say, yeah. you know, to some degree, uh, I'm sure that there are operational problems in the school system that can be fixed that can help drive student achievement. And then to a very large degree, there are also funding issues and inequity issues of funding that, you know, the city has seen for a long time 
ever since, you know, since white flight and massive resistance. And uh, there are a lot of legacy issues that have come with that. I mean, even looking at the age of our facilities and whether we've been able to build new facilities and how we tackle those issues and the, the relative wealth of the students the student population in RPS versus the community here. So, you know, my hope was to kind of get that sort of thing put into the MOU as well. So if mm-hmm. the state could come and say, hey, you know, we don't think that RPS has the funds that they need to really thrive, then we'd have that documented from a state source. And unfortunately, right. that wasn't something that we ended up getting uh, put in the MOU. Um, of course not. That's too much like right. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a lot. And it, it would be, I can see why the Virginia Dep- Department of Education wouldn't want to wade into political issues, local political issues and things like that. So right. I get that. But, um, but we just wrapped that up. That was a big deal. Uh, of course, we went through a superintendent, a couple superintendent changes since I've joined. (laughs) (laughs) Those were, um, you know, a real, real kind of shock to the system in my first year, to be honest with you. So I was uh, actually on a work trip when uh, the board started earnestly talking about uh, finding a replacement for Dr. Bedden. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having to, you know, call in and uh, handle all that stuff while I was on a trip for work, and that that was. Uh, well, that sounds stressful. <laughs> it was, it? yeah, you know, <laughs> it was a little stressful. It was because I thought that there were uh, there were a lot of things that were going the right way, and I also believe that uh, continuity and leadership is important for school systems such as ours. Your average uh, urban school superintendent lasts like two and a half to three years. Yeah, and it's a high turnover. It is a high turnover. Mm-hmm. And we just put in place a strategic plan, and that's not a two-and-a-half-year plan or no. one-and-a-half-year plan by the right. time the superintendent gets it. And the facilities problems that we have aren't going to be addressed in three or four years. Uh-uh. And if you have a board turning over and superintendents turning over, then uh, necessarily that can slow down progress and, mm-hmm. and continuity. Certainly. And that's not to say that I will endorse every single thing that came out of the Bend administration, much like I wouldn't endorse every single thing that came out of the Cameras administration. But that was a big change for us because at the time, you know, we're talking about putting together a facility plan. We are going through, you know, the budget transition. We are going through a superintendent transition, and we brought on Tommy Kranz as the interim superintendent, and then he ended he ended up leaving once Mr. Canvas was hired. Uh, so that that has played a really big role in in our experience as a board over the first couple of years. But I feel pretty good generally about where we are as a district. I think to a large degree, some of those administrative issues have begun to stabilize, uh, which is important. And that's also changed the board dynamic in some ways, which is kind of not, not something that I necessarily expected. You know, to, to have most everyone on the board take part in hiring the superintendent actually helped to some degree create some buy-in with, uh, with him. Uh, but then we've also gone through board member transitions as well. Nadine Marsh Carter ended up yeah. leaving the board. Um, of course, uh, Jeff Bourne was on the board with us for a right, little while. Right, right in the beginning, and then uh-huh. he's now a yeah. state delegate. So. That's right, yeah. Um, and you've also had things like uh, the Carver Elementary School SOL cheating scandal Yeah. Uh, that you've had to deal with as well. How did you, in particular with school board, deal with that? Yeah, I would say that was that is unquestionably the most emotional issue that I mean, I've dealt with. Yeah, aren't you just mm-hmm. devastated for yeah. those kids? And, you know, it. so there have been rumors in the community for a while that yeah. there may be something up with... Something's going on. ...with yeah. Harbor, right? And it was something that, you know, you want to take seriously, but then you also look at the audience and who's presenting, you know, these types of claims. Yep. And you have to... Yeah, you also have to think about how important Carver in particular is to our community, to the African-American community in Richmond. There's a lot of pride in Carver being a blue ribbon school. Yes. 
Uh, there's a lot of history there, going back to the Morris Street School right yes. there behind it. So, so you, so I think it was a delicate situation. It was delicate, yeah. And it and people really, people at Carver and people in the community really did respect uh, the principal there. She was, you know, she of course, like most of our teachers and our principals, they they care about our kids. But I started to hear about this stuff and started to inquire and ask questions, and uh, they weren't really being looked into that seriously from mm-hmm. from what I was you know experiencing you know I remember you know asking them to take another look and hearing well we're going to do an internal investigation it looks like there's might be something here and we're going to forward this information to the state but around that time we were going through the superintendent transition and uh, communication between the the outgoing superintendent and the incoming superintendent you know wasn't happening yet. well and it very it was happening on some things I'm sure but this wasn't something that was necessarily put on Mr. Cameron's radar so right I actually pulled Jason aside at our first budget meeting where he was he had taken over which was February of last year and I said hey um, what have you been hearing about Carver and uh, it wasn't really on his radar at that point so uh, so of course you know the follow-up was done and um, and then there was this period where you know you learn that the state's looking into it but you can't really talk about it you certainly don't want to make assertions about what might be happening without the facts and things like that and uh, of course you know the results of, of that report came back and they were pretty uh, devastating to read yeah. um, because, you know, it, it's not fair to the kids first and foremost if, if it's being represented that they're succeeding in certain ways academically um, when they might not be because we want to know when there are problems so we can put more resources and put more teachers into those positions to, to help these students thrive. Yeah, so, you know, that, that whole transition was really tough and then to have to go to Carver and speak to the families there who you know, had worked with the outgoing principal for a long time was um, was also a, an emotionally fraught thing to do. But I'm 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 pretty optimistic about where Carver is going now. There are a lot of community members who are getting involved. We got uh, a sharp uh, administrative team there. Uh, we of course still have a ton of passionate teachers there who are doing what they can to help help out. But I still th- I still th- see problems, and I think there are legacy issues at Carver in particular that I want to help tackle. I mean, facilities problems there are. I mean, they, they're outrageous to me in some respects. Yeah. I mean, if you saw what, uh, what the students have been using there as a gym or, you know, the art room being in the basement as well and it not being ADA accessible and uh, the, the mold issues and things like that. And it's tough to go in there and see these problems and realize I really want to help address these issues. But boy, is it going to take a lot of money. And boy, do we have a lot of needs throughout the city. Yep. And one of the most challenging things as a school board member with the limited budget is you're not choosing between wants and needs. You're choosing between needs and needs. Right. Yeah. And Which one's how do you first? prioritize yeah. a huge bevy of needs? Right. Like, so how do I decide that these students should be exposed to mold because there are fewer of them versus a school in another part of the city that's having equally bad, yeah. you know, uh, facilities problems. And that's why community advocacy is, and this is one of the things that I found most incredible about being a school board member, is how many people in the community care and are advocating and are trying to do what they can to come up with more funds for our schools. And whether that be support our schools, Virginia Educated Educators United is doing a big rally. Um, it'll be tomorrow, our time, but two days ago <laughs> when this airs. Right. So it was great, you guys. It was really effective, <laughs> was and so many people inspiring. came out. <laughs> it's super inspiring. No, and we red. know it's going to be. I hope it's a sea better, of red. Better Hashtag red for Ed, everyone. 
That's right. Better and, be. Yeah. So it's. Uh, and what's the purpose of that? Like, can you talk yeah, about so that? Yeah. So the purpose of that, I mean, it's well documented that that Richmond's been shorted um, from a funding standpoint from the state for a very long time, and these are issues that are there are issues that have gone back decades, if not. Right, and it's not just a few million bucks. No, like, no, you're talking about pretty lot. significant money. So when you look at, and there there are different ways we get our money. There are the standards of quality, which you know aren't funded all the way. There's the LCI, which is the Local Composite Index, which is a funding formula that allocates education funding to different localities throughout the state. And uh, you know our contention is uh, that a lot of high uh, poverty school systems, whether they be urban or rural, you see with both, are being um, screwed by the LCI. Yeah. And uh, and then you have some legislators and some people in the community generally who don't want to believe that students, when you have a high concentration of students who are living in poverty, that they, um, or they do want to believe that it costs the same to educate them as it should a student in, in an affluent suburb. And that's just not the case. I mean, when I think about my education as a student, and I did grow up in a pretty affluent suburban Atlanta suburb. Not only did I have great public schools, but then my parents could afford to put me into the Boy Scouts. I was an active Boy Scout. And tutors. And, and tutors. Supplies and, and, and adequate and, things to go to school. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, we had a piano instructor time. come right. by the house uh, when I was young, and that didn't stick, but, you know, it was worth, <laughs> worth a shot. Oh, you're not a virtuoso. <laughs> So, and, and that's that's not even addressing the fact that students in RPS and similarly situated school systems, they have certain needs that may not be being met at home yeah. that we have to help address in school. Like a full belly when they get like there. Like a full belly when they get there. And that's a really important raw you know, example. And then there are also emotional needs right. that aren't necessarily being addressed the same Trauma way. Trauma-trained teachers in the classroom. Right. A restorative justice practices, so we're not suspending our students and we're not throwing them out of school when, when issues happen. But then also, you know, what's happening in the community when you've got a school like Carver, where so many of the students are coming from the same public housing uh, situation. And... You know, if something traumatic happens in that neighborhood that night, you could be looking at a sizable portion of the student population who are walking in who were affected or saw something or heard something. And then how do you take care of those emotional needs, those physical needs, and then, you know, tackle the educational needs. Um, so there are there are more challenges. There's no question for a school system like ours. And that, you know, when you've got challenges like that, that requires more resources. Uh, so that's something that I'll always be advocating for, whether I'm on the school board or, you know, a dad in the future, just, you know, hanging out at home. <laughs> Putting that out in the ether. Yeah. <laughs> so with that being said, I think that's one thing that is important to discuss before we get too deep in it. We'll start talking about the budget in a little bit. But, you know, a lot of people in Richmond, it's been kind of the stepping stone to the beginning of their political career is the school board. Right. How, how do you feel about that? Do you think that's the route that you see yourself taking, or is this something, are you in for the long haul? Well, not so, necessarily on school board, but at least yeah, so, with this type of advocacy. Yeah, with this type of advocacy, it's my, it, this type of advocacy is rooted in my core, I think. I mean, my grandpa was a politician in Iowa, and he was a liberal politician in Iowa, and he wasn't afraid to stick it to the man occasionally. My other grandpa <laughs> and my uncle were uh, were teamsters. My uh, grandmother was a communications worker. My mom and aunts are public school teachers. You know, these are people who care about um, the broader issues happening in the community and economic justice and public education, and those are things that, you know, I'm always going to care about. 
uh, no matter what happens. And I see why. I do see why people end up sort of moving up and running for other offices. Because when you come into a position like this and you want to change the world, or at least this part of the world, and you realize, boy, I have to go on radio shows <laughs> and <laughs> go march and to do all those things and really continue to be an advocate mm-hmm. or an activist, I should say. Mm-hmm. We should always be advocates, but you have to be an activist to go try to get the funds that you need for the school system. Yeah, I can see why people would want to go, you know, help out on another level and do that kind of thing. For me at this point, you know, I I think we just have like so many challenges in RPS that, that we need to keep wrestling with. So. Yeah, and you're not afraid to maybe like stick your thumb in the state's eye and say, hey, give us what we deserve. Right? <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> we can't afford to be afraid. The circumstances are too dire. Damn right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since talking about budget, yeah. the school board does not control their own budget. Yeah. And so you have to fight and be an activist yeah. for uh, your um, your schools. and. Yeah, we don't control the inflow, right? No. So, right. of course, we, we are controlling the, the expenditures that we're making to a large sure. degree. But then, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you're pitting needs against needs in a lot of these situations. Right. And there are people who want to push a narrative that... RPS is so recklessly using funds or that other school systems are so recklessly using funds that they don't deserve anymore. Yep. And this is not something that's unique to Richmond. This is something that you see all the time because providing a quality public education is expensive and communities have a lot of priorities that need to be addressed. Um, that's why it takes a lot of courage to put in, put significant funds towards public school systems. Mm-hmm. Well, and a lot of patience too, trying to explain to people over and over and over again, you may see this as wild spending, mm-hmm. right? but we have so many issues built upon years and years and years. We're also wildly behind. Right. <laughs> right, so well, it's it's not what you think it is. And I'm sure you spend a lot of time explaining to people. Yeah, and in another common one, and of course, you know, you always want to use funds wisely, but people want to see return on investment. They want to see ROI. So show me how this dollar is going to improve student achievement. You know, that's a, that's a really challenging quandary in itself because how do we measure student achievement? That's a hot issue, and that's one of the most yeah. challenging issues in the public schools or in the, in the school system. I mean, yeah. I'd even say going back to when I was – working on helping students prepare for the bar exam. I thought there were inequitable approaches to how students were being assessed. Um, so how do you show it? Uh, you know, sometimes... We need, uh, we'll need another eight years to, yeah, yeah. to show you that. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Let them graduate. So, right, exactly. So if you put in dollars now, yeah, they, they're going to be helping gonna the workforce... going to take time to matriculate. A ...in bit. a decade, mm-hmm, right, right, or longer. Mm-hmm. And um, so it really is an investment. And... I think where people are missing the mark when it comes to the school funding issue to a large degree is not seeing putting money into our school system as an economic driver. And it was it's as clear as day to me when I talk to people who were rezoned from another school, the Fox, for example. Yeah. And they say, well, my house values went up $60,000 overnight, mm-hmm. right? And so you go on to Realtor.com or Zillow and Trulia, mm-hmm. and people just look. And you used to have redlining. Now you've got people who can go on and say, oh, based on these arbitrary ratings on a website, yeah. I'm not going to live in this house anymore because uh, the schools aren't showing success like I'd like to see. Yep. And that's a narrative that uh, folks on the school board and in the city really need to combat as well. Because it, it won't improve unless, you know, if you have this great flight, there's actually a particular, it's not necessarily in your district, but there is a particular district that, of course, it's not hurting for affluency. But, you know, you have a great flight of people from the kids in elementary school and then they disappear. Oh yeah, and you see it in the second as well. You know, yeah. they, to, they go to private school. Yeah, and I talk to you know I talk to Fox parents, for example, who will say, and you know, I I also get it, 
mm-hmm. you know, people don't want their kids to be like an experiment or a guinea pig or something like that. And it's a lot more work to put your students into a school that uh, that you're going to have to volunteer in more, provide more resources to to help succeed right. than just to go to a school where a lot of that stuff sort of... Not every household can take that. Right. Uh, so I get it. There there are more people in my district who are excited about Binford, for example. Um, but then there are still people who say, if my kid's not getting into a specialty high school or into a governor's school or something like that, and you know they might be moving to the to the suburbs as well. You know, I get it. it's a natural inclination for a parent to want to put their student in a situation where they're most likely to succeed. And I think that's why my parents bought their when we left Chicago and went to Atlanta. That's why my parents bought their house where they did uh, because the schools were doing well there. And I think parents, you know, make these decisions all the time, and they're very important to their families. But and and people say this all the time, but it's absolutely true. But a student's neighborhood or zip code or whatever you want to call it shouldn't determine the quality of education that they get. That's and, right. You know, especially so, since we have this great SOL thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, getting into that whole regime is probably going to take another hour. <laughs> You're getting schooled by RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. So now we're going to switch to the nitty gritty. (laughs) Sounds good. No, I'm just teasing. But we're going to talk, I want to give you the opportunity to kind of pontificate on the budget and the strategic plan that Cameras has put out that was um, a little bit different um, this year and how aggressive you want to talk about, you know, what's been happening on that strategic plan and what you guys are doing. I see now the budget schedule has been released. The budget meeting schedule has been released for you guys um, Mm -hmm. just recently. You just want to kind of talk about what the rundown of like what's going on and maybe talk about this, these cuts. Sure. That are in the media that just came out. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, for those who, who aren't fully aware, we did pass a strategic plan this past year, which is very important. We have certainly seen people in council and uh, the mayor and folks like that a call for a strategic plan. It's something that was important to us as well to, to show our vision for how to improve the school system moving forward. Of course, that vision uh, shouldn't be you know put into place without getting a lot of impact from the community. So I was really proud that we had uh, like 170 um, community meetings to talk through it, to prioritize what we should be focusing Props on. Props for that. And that, was, <laughs> and that was a big deal. We saw a lot of people, uh, a lot of people come to those, and it was great discussion, you know, for us as a board and for the community to talk about what our priorities should be. Now, that was, of course, running in concert with what we were talking about earlier, which was the MOU and putting in place a corrective action plan. Yeah. And that all has to be approved by the state. So those really needed to, to run hand in hand. And we've certainly been talking about uh, funding issues in the school system, so it shouldn't come as a huge surprise to people that when you're talking about systemic change with a school system like ours, that it will be an expensive proposition. Uh, but I, it not only do we owe the, the students and the community uh, and our teachers and all the stakeholders a plan moving forward, but we also need to show realistically what it's going to cost and how we can go about addressing that. Um, the challenge here, uh, one of the challenges is uh, is the funding piece that we've been talking about. Right. And I know that um, you know the, that the mayor and council have been happy to point out that funds have increased over the past uh, 
uh, since the past, I should yeah. say. <laughs> since the past. In recent past. Right. Since the last administration, maybe. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, of course, important to us. And But but obviously, the plan moving forward is going to cost a lot of money and mm-hmm. require a lot of resources. And that's not even talking about facilities, uh, but just focusing on the operational pieces, yeah. adding teachers where we need them, adding counselors where we need them. Improving teacher pay. Improving teacher pay. Yeah, and that school is nurses. So <laughs> school nurses. Amen. <sighs> so, and that's something I've been really proud to advocate for for the past couple of years. Because I, when I first got on the board, there was this sort of approach being pushed by a couple of school board members that we should put in place a more modest budget ask, thinking that we'd be more likely to get it fully funded. And <laughs> if we put that more modest plan out, then the mayor and council will be more likely to, you know, to come together, to come to the table and mm-hmm. take care of it. It really gave me pause because the things that we were talking about taking out at that point in the process was were, were really important. School nurses was a prime example. It blows my mind, though. I, was, I, I couldn't was, imagine a school without a nurse in it. Yeah, I was we've totally yeah. dumbfounded when I found out that schools are sharing nurses. Right, yeah. What? And how do you tell a kid which day or which part of the morning you get sick? Right, and yeah. what happens if an emergency happens and you have no medical, you know, personnel mm-hmm. around? Guess you have to call nine one one then. Kid needs his <laughs> insulin, right. diabetes, or and you know, allergic it, reaction. And gosh, improperly administered medication or something like that oh that could be a huge problem for us. Yeah. And uh, so the wellness of the child is, of course, what's most important. But then you're talking about potential financial repercussions for that as well. So I became a real proponent of what we were calling a needs-based budget yeah. and putting in place, you know, what we reasonably thought we needed for the next school year to succeed. And that's the approach that we've largely been taking. Um, last year was a really kind of tough budget process for us, in my opinion, because we were transitioning between administrations. Mm-hmm. Right. So you had um, it literally in the middle of the process, right? So you had um, Mr. Krantz leave and then Mr. Campus come in and then we're we had to get into a place where we could set our priorities and we certainly weren't really necessarily in a place where with that superintendent we could look at what types of efficiencies we could make because it would be a knee-jerk reaction for someone in the first few weeks in to come yeah. in and talking about cuts, right? Yeah. You really have to assess the school system. So what we did was we, we put forward what we thought we needed um, and then figured, you know, we'll have to take a look at efficiencies once we are going through the audits that we we got done this year, once right. we go through the strategic planning process, when the superintendent has the opportunity to see how the central office should be aligned, you know, what roles should be. And be introduced to his brand new t- right. school district. Exactly. And bring on the right people to even make these assessments. So obviously we weren't in a position to really dig into that stuff at that point. But uh, we proposed this budget and then, uh, and then I remember distinctly <laughs> seeing in the paper that uh, the mayor's the mayor was proposing that they fully fund the budget, and of course, I was over the moon about mm-hmm. that. You know, that's something that a school board member loves to hear. Yeah. <laughs> right, of course, yeah. that was easy. <laughs> right, um, uh, but of course, the the basically all of the increase in funds that we got last year were reallocated fund balance, and what in in so in Virginia, if a school board has any operation funds left over they're not allowed to take those into the next year. They automatically revert to their funding authority, so whether that be a county or the city. So we had a pretty pretty large uh, fund balance, much larger than I think we, we should have had. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we came forward with these plans, basically the mayor's uh, mayor proposed that they take those leftover funds and give them to us for our funding for the next year. Now that sounds great because you, and it is great, right? Because we are getting funds that we need. Unfortunately, what that really limits you to is 
one-time uh, expenditures, right? Right. And when we're talking about making a match um, to increase, you know, if this if the state's coming down and saying you need, if you come up with some money, then we'll give you some uh, money and we will increase teacher pay. But it's a one-time. But it's thing. a one-time thing. Then you're really in a tough spot, and if you're not in a position to make uh, cuts to balance that out, so we were we were put, you know, we were basically in a situation where we had to decide again needs between needs yeah. to what to do with these funds, and uh, and some of the things that were bubbling up from the community, some of the things that we had been noticing that needed to be addressed couldn't necessarily just be addressed with one-time funds, but we needed to tackle them. And so when you're talking about more uh, English as a sec- second language teachers, more folks in our welcome center to help um, the, the, the immigrant community who's coming to Richmond, and, I mean, that issue really spoke to me in particular. Which you, is our largest growing population right now. Yeah, it's, a huge, right it's now. a huge part of the population. And then you hear from parents who are saying, there's basically no one in the building that I can speak with about some of these issues. And my mom encountered this when she was a teacher where... Uh, she just retired last year, by the way. So congrats, congrats to my mom. Your retirement. <laughs> but uh, she started speaking or teaching ESL students, and they didn't have you know resources in the building. And then you know the students would be learning English, but then the parents hadn't. So if the parents come in for a parent-teacher conference, the you've got teacher, the parent, the student has got to translate. <laughs> right, right, to yeah. right. So how do you tra- translate? I got all A's. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. You know, so those issues um, have just become more and more exacerbated on the South Side. So, of course, let's do what we can to get more bilingual staff, administrators who can speak with the parents. Let's get some more ESL teachers there. Um, And then there are other priorities that we want, that we know we need to tackle. And we talked about trauma earlier. And there are these, you know, educational philosophies uh, about trauma-informed care. Uh, So basically the thought is you can help. Um, teach teachers and administrators and other folks who are coming into contact with students how to deal and how to sort of meet the students who have experienced traumatic things in their lives where they are to make sure that you're meeting their emotional needs as well. And of course, that's something we want to invest in. But if you're talking about significant investment in that type of program, um, you don't want it for a year. Right. right? One, one time. <laughs> right. You're going to need it the year after that. And then, you know, we, we also noticed that our bus drivers weren't getting paid competitively. We wanted to remedy that. So there are a lot of, a lot of these recurring funds that we had to address, um, and, but we only had one-time funds to do it. Right. And Which I think was twelve point five. Yes. Million? Yes. Right. Right. Right in that ballpark. I was undoubtedly anxious about that at the time. Uh, of course, these are things that I think we need to be investing in. But what do we do next year? Yeah. And here we are next year. Right? <laughs> here we are. So now the the challenge is to First of all, address those one-time funds or those one-time or the recurring uh, expenses that we have that were only addressed by one-time funds last year. Last year, right. And then we have this, what I think is a fantastic strategic plan that we put in place, and how do we get the ball rolling on that? Right. Because one thing that we've seen throughout the history of Richmond public education, as far as I know, uh, but certainly the past decade or so, is that people can put in place great plans. They don't execute them. But they don't get executed if they don't get funded. Yeah. And, you know, I could talk your ear off about the facilities plan, you know, option five that we all were talking about when we were running for office in 2016 that didn't get funded. And now we're still talking about facilities plans. And there's questions about whether we have an entire facilities plan. Oh, man. Richmond is like king of un. You know, unfinished plans. Well, right. think like, about think about how many unimplemented plans. Yeah, how many 
plans, strategic plans we've had for this. Master plans, strategic plans. River, there's always a sure. plan, but I hear there's the talk action? about a coliseum or something coming to town. Oh, so, gosh. you know they're plan- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's a whole nother <laughs> plan. Woo! So. so yeah, I mean, trying to actually get something, see it through to somewhat fruition, is, right. is difficult. And and it's significant change requires significant resources mm-hmm. or significant resource allocation. Right. And to me, I don't want to make cuts where they aren't necessary. And that's very important. We're already behind anyway. Right. So if we're already behind, if we are already seeing that uh, we're not meeting the needs of our students or uh, community members who, uh, like our teachers who are calling into HR or our facilities folks who need to take care of things at the schools, you know, we see what systemic underfunding can do. But now we need to be in a place where we can move forward and put a good faith plan together where we can say, this is what we think we need to get the ball rolling to implement our strategic plan. We understand that funding wasn't you know, optimal last year. So let's put in a plan that shows that we've done the due diligence to address the needs of our school system. So we had 170 community meetings. We had plenty of board meetings. We had lots of discussions with administrators and teachers and, and students to put in place a strategic plan. And our hope is that now that we've got this great plan in place, People on council, people in the mayor's office, and people in the community will recognize that we've done a lot of due diligence and will come out and try to help us advocate for funds for it or will allocate funds for it. We also need to make sure that our fiscal house is in order, and I hate that phrase, but you hear it all the time, and it is convenient to use for the purposes of this discussion. So we also need to take a look at what types of changes need to be made in our school system to make sure it's optimized for moving forward as well. As we're sort of leading up to, the superintendent has proposed uh, some some cuts. The general idea, first of all, is to uh, to make sure that they're not impacting our students as much as possible, right? So right. we don't want to make cuts to schools. We don't want to make cuts to teachers. We want right. to make sure that we are funding additional increases in teacher pay. That, so that's something that you'll see in the budget. Um, I think and, that was the first thing in the strategic plan. Right. And teacher retention was also in there, which is a very important issue as well. Yes. Uh, which isn't necessarily just um, tied to funding. There are plenty of things that we can do to help address it. Then the next piece, of course, is we put in place this you know, strategic plan. Let's make sure we're following that model moving forward to address the needs. As we were alluding to, we saw an increase in funds last year, as we explicitly mm-hmm. discussed, uh, which uh, dealt with um, one-time funds. So if you take a look over the past few years, we, re- we haven't seen an increase in our uh, overall funding. But when you tally up what we need to do for the first year of the strategic, strategic plan, plus some of those recurring expenses, you look at a pretty sizable amount. So we're trying to put forth a good faith effort, say we're at least going to take a look internally to see what we can do to help fund these priorities. But we need you guys to do what you can to fund these priorities on the other side. So yeah, so the cuts... Uh, the cuts what was, that have been what was proposed. that number? What was that number first of what we what we needed? All right. Without so, the cut, I think it was close to what sixteen. Yeah, we're looking at the first year of the strategic plan plus the local match of a teacher raise, assuming that the, mm-hmm. the, the passes the GA is uh, 16.4, 16.5 million, and that of course includes step up for teacher pay this year. We're also potentially going to be. Uh, eliminating some vacant vacant positions. And this is something that you see any large organization may have budgeted positions that haven't actually been funded. So then you take those funds later on and say, well, what do I do with them? And in some local governing situations, you may even see that used as a budgeting budgeting tactic Mm -hmm. to say we need these additional positions without having an intent to fund them. And that's not a good budgeting practice. So that's not something that we want to, you know, be engaged in. Uh, So we're sort of cutting those out. out. Um, But I think what we're going to be looking at you know, moving forward, and these are these are going to be some of the toughest discussions that we have as a board and 
uh, probably uh, will be having as a community as well is how do we come up with the money on the RPS side? Should we come up with the money on the RPS side mm -hmm. uh, with these cuts, proposed cuts, to fund our uh, you know, year one of the strategic plan initiatives? Yeah. We started that process. So the superintendent, of course, put out a budget framework, and then we have these meetings coming up, and we already had one where we talk with specificity about what uh, types of efficiencies we can find in the central office, because of course we don't want to uh, reduce funding for our schools. What we've been seeing so far is, you know, where we can talk about things publicly, we do. And yeah. of course we can talk about programmatic cuts or cuts to software purchases or other systems and things like that. Um, but then when you're getting into the nitty gritty about actually cutting positions, you're, you're talking about potentially personally identifiable information. You're talking about people, people's right. careers here. So you don't yeah. want to have that discussion publicly and we're not, you know, allowed to have that discussion publicly. So, right. yeah. So that's what we're going through now. I'm really trying to look at this with a critical eye, but I think what we, what's important for us to ask is not only, you know, we see some people on the board who's, who are just saying, there's been so much waste in city hall and central <laughs> office for years. We need to address it. Yeah. Um, that's not at all my approach. Uh, I don't think we should be cutting for cutting sake. It's not a philosophy that I have. I think we need to put what we can into our educational system to get return, uh, like we were talking about earlier. We do have to discuss these trade-offs and which, what's most beneficial for the student. So in an ideal world, you know, we'd put put this out. It wouldn't have any cuts. The city would come out and they'd say, we're going to fully fund all these priorities. Great job, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but we haven't seen that in Yeah, that unicorn years. hasn't happened. Right. Can we put out a, a $20 million or a $30 million ask and reasonably expect that it's going to be funded? And so this this is sort of the tension that we're dealing with. We might could do it with the cigarette tax. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, darn. Darn it. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. Womp, womp. <laughs> if, this, if, if City Hall, if they could just figure out how to get that money to grow in the seats of City Hall, like LeVar said, we'd be good. And they're right, searching them couch cushions. <sighs> yeah, and that's what we're doing right now is digging into the couch cushions as a school system. <laughs> and there ain't a lot there, that's mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. As we talk about this now, so what we have is pretty much a deficit that has existed for quite a while. So, uh, yeah. It, it, not, not necessarily a deficit in money. Well, that's true, too, because it's been historically underfunded. Right. But we've got a deficit in a translation between what we're spending at the schools and what our kids are getting because... You know, it's hard to balance. It, this is a, a tricky process of trying to balance the budget, asking for more money and maybe not always getting it, having proposed things that could possibly bring in more revenue get voted down, i.e. cigarette tax, different right, things like that. Right. How have you, if, if that's the case, but how have you maybe worked with Kim or have you guys have any, had discussions between the two of you on things about maybe how you can make the second district better or how you guys can work together to improve within your district if it means you know how you can get more money on the school board or how you can just work together under the second sure district yeah. umbrella to get some things done that might can you know include some of the your campaign promises and maybe some of hers too yeah so I, you know I, the relationships that we have with council and the mayor and our counterparts on council are very important to us. And I think relative to a lot of districts, Kim and I have a pretty, a pretty good relationship. So you know, we're we talk about what types of issues are popping up. She's got a lot of experience, having been on the school board for as long as she was. Right? Are you tapping into that? <laughs> yeah, especially. Oh my gosh, especially before I decided to run and stuff. You know, trying to get an idea of, of what types of needs RPS had and what I could, how I could be more effective. Yeah, I mean, she she and I talked a lot, and we 
we've talked a fair amount, you know, since. As you know about Kim, she's not afraid to share her opinion. Nope. You know, and a lot of times we agree on things. And I've also noted that when she doesn't agree with what what we're doing, <laughs> she hasn't been afraid to share her opinion there either. I think there's there's give and take with those relationships. Of course, we talk about what's best for the school system and what's best for the schools in the second district. And she's involved and she goes to the schools a lot. So I hear feedback from her all the time too. Now with addressing the funding needs, I think we also have to look at this on a systemic level, which is why you know we had had to put in place a plan that has a lot of support and is locked up, and hopefully you know use that as um, as a way to get all the council members to buy into what we're doing as well. And then I think we also have to talk about long-term funding strategies, and some of that those discussions have have been popping up in compact meetings and in meetings between council members and school board members. And mm-hmm. so that's going to be a topic of discussion for, for all of us to make sure that we can all work together as effectively as possible. And collaboration is important. Again, we don't always have to be best friends and we don't always have to get along. And it's probably healthy to some degree when we don't. I think we all want what's best for our kids, but the school board's also not looking at uh, or is not making decisions about public safety dollars or infrastructure dollars right. and things like that. So, you know, we're going to be looking at things from a different perspective. But uh, I think my role, first and foremost, is to advocate for the needs of the school system. We definitely go to each other's meetings, uh, and I think that's really important so people can hear from us together. I'd say a lot of our collaboration and discussions uh, have have happened over the phone or in person when we've talked. She's certainly, uh, particularly the first year, was giving me a lot of sort of strategic advice about how to handle certain situations, and that was very helpful to me. Uh, so I'd say that we've got a pretty collaborative relationship there. I think she also has a great person in Craig Bieber who works with her, and Craig's a good friend of mine as well, and I've got a good relationship with him, so he, he can let me know when things are going on. But I think that's helpful from a communication standpoint. To Shout have out a community, to the liaisons. Exactly. To have a community liaison who you, you can work with as well. So how do you feel feel about the the room they got y'all shoved in um that's hot city hall um and have you guys ever thought about i don't know maybe switching your meeting days so that they don't coincide with other public meetings so that everybody can go or (laughs) maybe make it so that your meetings are live streamed instead of oh my god five days later amen yeah no i think those are so i'll start with how i feel about the room i don't love it in fact when i first started i remember that uh that jeff Bourne came in and he's, he pointed out that there's like a bad seat on our side of the table. So you want to mm. make sure you get there before other people so you don't get stuck in the seat that doesn't adjust right. <laughs> Good gracious. Um, there's a lot of um, literally unvarnished history in that room with decisions that have been made and stuff. And I'd love to have a better public space to host meetings. But at the same time, do we want to put facilities dollars into? Oh, no, I think you guys like should uh, should be able to use council chambers. I, I, you know, I don't mind using the council chambers. They're, uh, <laughs> they've got a better setup. A little spacious, nice and cool yeah the seats are more comfortable yeah yeah and and much more accessible Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah i think that would be great larger amount of people can get in there you know because uh, when when parents and students you know and concerned citizens are coming to speak to you guys have to hang out in the hallway have to hang out in the hallway there's this weird bottleneck that happens there's this wall that's in the yeah. way so people can't see you and I think that hinders the public discussion people come I, in there and they they say I can't fit in here and I can't hear what's going on when I'm out in the hall I agree. then if you sit yeah. in there you burst into flames it's so hot it's so hot <laughs> yeah no kidding <laughs> so yeah I just feel like uh, if we could maybe get your uh, your meetings on a Tuesday or Wednesday I'd love that <laughs> I'd like to stagger them I know that you know there's some precedence for us having them on Monday the idea or every other Monday right. you know, off, and off the of the council time yeah it would be right. great and then you look at times in the year and we are 
scheduling meetings at the same time. Right. That's right. It also doesn't make me a more effective school board member either if I can't see what's going on at council. Meetings. And council, that's and we it. have folks too. Like so, Jesse will leave in the middle of a city council meeting to come upstairs to the seventeenth floor. Yeah, we do have a better view. I'll give them that. Right, you just have good view. I ain't looking but out to, the window. I'm too hot. I'm sweating. <laughs> so you know, to live tweet a meeting. Um, and we ha- I have also seen many other folks, community members, will get yeah. up in the middle of one meeting and go stop right in the middle yeah. to go to another. And um, I just think for public transparency and information and stuff we should yep. we should make sure your meetings are separate um, yeah and like that, that you guys have a, a nice space to do it in and you have an audio visual even though set up. even though it's still a little wishy-washy down there it's better than what you got it's yeah. got better than what you got because if a live stream is a fantastic thing it is and it I mean, it kills me to have to watch you know teachers come in and live stream our meetings. Um, right there, they're doing it uh, for the city right. on their Facebook Live. Right, as if they're not putting enough of their own time and resources exactly. into the school system. Thank you for mentioning that. Yes. That's appreciated. Yeah, I, th- there are plans in the works to make sure that we can live stream our meetings more effectively. Praise the gods. I think that's really important. In fact, as a local government nerd, I've even chimed into other local governments from time to time when I see it pop up on the feed. I was watching Williamsburg not that long ago, and uh-huh. it's like, oh, that's great. Like, people can watch, and they can comment, and they can see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that's nice. And especially when we're having important discussions, and there's you know not as high likelihood that people are going to come in. Mm-hmm. Like at our last budget meeting, when we went in a closed session, I think two people had to leave the room. So many uh, times, can knock on wood. Jesse and I are the only two people, and they're like, "It's closed session now. You guys gotta go." Right? We're like, okay, oh, okay, it, sorry. And for a lot of them, we get we get pretty good turnout. Yeah, it it would be a nice thing, and I'm I'm glad that you you are uh, thinking about it. Yeah, I think it would lend a better voice to us as a school board too if people know what we're doing. Well, I really do think that you guys need more exposure. Yeah. People base their opinions on school board off of the way council portrays you. Right. A lot of times. And council doesn't always give school board the benefit of the doubt. You guys are a completely different school board than what we've had in the Mm -hmm. past. Everybody was new Mm -hmm. in 2016, except for Jeff, but, you know, he got replaced. So everybody was new. (laughs) Don was a boomerang. And yes, and Don was a boomerang. I think that you guys get blamed for the sins of the past more than you should. If you had more exposure to the public, maybe the public would tell us city council to sit down and let you guys do your business right and you're preaching to the choir you're talking to a politician about more public uh <laughs> right access <laughs> <laughs> <Seth>, sure <laughs> well since we did our last show of the season last year was hopes and dreams for richmond kind of want to hear what your hopes and dreams are for your district yeah and future plans for yeah. the next two years going forward because you got two more years mm-hmm. left on your term yeah. i'm sure you've got <clears throat> some things you'd like to focus on yeah, absolutely. So so it's been an incredible honor to be able to be in this role for the past two years. I'm I'm glad that I still have a couple of years to to help make an impact. My my hope is that as a city we continue to see support from people in the community for the school system. Uh, obviously I don't think that support is going to dry out for people getting involved and helping out with activities and stuff. But I, I do think that the advocacy support and the political support is also very important because we don't want situations where where we ask for budget asks and things like that and they go unheard or we aren't seeing advocacy uh, along 
alongside uh, of our of our efforts. And I think you know some of the things that that I want to continue to focus on are issues that we've already started to address to some degree. Um, but I want to see sustained support for them, and I want to make sure that we're continuing to assess them. The support for our English as a second language students, particularly those on the south side. I know it's not in the second district, but to me that's a that's a moral issue to make sure that we can provide. Uh, support for all of our students. No yeah, you're not them. just elected for your district. You're yeah. elected to represent everyone. You're working for all of Richmond. You're not just working for the second. So it's okay for you to have concerns yeah. about Southside, and it's well, appreciated. And that's how you know that's how I feel about it. With the school system, with as many needs as we have, it's it's my role to to try to advocate to address the ones that are most dire. And sometimes those are in in other districts, and sometimes they're in mine. And I'll give you an example of where I think that we do need more support in the second district, and that is as we go through the rezoning process and the facilities planning process. This And this is going to be a very important part of our legacy as a board and of our work the next two years, mm-hmm. is to figure out how we can more equitably draw our school boundaries. And uh, you see, historically, you see a lot of political brinksmanship and gamesmanship and stuff yep. played when you're talking about those boundaries. My hope is that people will be open-minded and supportive uh, and call us out where we need to be called out as we go through that process, but really help contribute to the dialogue of how we should uh, handle that more effectively. And I'd like to see I'd like to see more diversity in our schools. And we know with a student population that is very largely African-American and has a much more smaller proportion of white students that you you may not hit perfect diversity numbers in all of our schools, but I think right. that through the rezoning process, we can help chip away at that. And then hopefully through some of our other efforts, we'll have more people who are willing to keep their kids in Richmond. Because um, it was pretty interesting to me to talk to the teachers at Carver this year when they said, you know, we're in summer school now and we've got a melting pot. We've got students from schools throughout the, the city and there are, you know, they're learning from each other and they're modeling each other's behaviors. And, you know, classroom management's easier and the learning process is better and it's more enriching for our students. And we know that when you have a more diverse student population, it's better for the white students, it's better for the black students, it's better for, for the others who are there as well. I mean, it's, uh, it's an enriching experience. So that's going to be something I'm focused on. I don't know, you know, if that's always politically palatable and if it'll be entirely politically palatable to people in the second district, but I do hope people are supportive of those efforts. Yeah. You know, student achievement always has to be first and foremost, but I also think that finding ways to make the school system operate more effectively is also very important. And when you look at our technology systems, I mean, we're using software in our HR department that is older than I am. Mm. Yeah, that's a, ooh. Right. So I was like, are we on Windows XP? <laughs> are we at, at Windows XP yet, you guys? Right. Have we reached 2000? It, it's crazy to me. I come from a you know, my dad works in tech. I work in tech. My brother works in tech. Like, yeah. you you can't run an effective organization in the in this right. century using technology from the '80s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I'd like to see investment in that, and then also make sure that that we've got that kind of support at the school level because we've got a lot of IT infrastructure issues. And then, of course, there's the facilities issue, and I do think that we're going to need to continue to advocate on that and also refresh the facilities plan because. Uh, I think Carver needs to be uh, prioritized, and, and that's something that isn't expressed in, in the That school needs argument. extra love just just because. Come on, guys. It, does. it needs extra love the next two years. Let's give it to And then on, you know, on top of that, we need to put in plan a place that can be reasonably funded. And um, it's not a knock on the mayor, but when, you know, I saw a plan that says, that came out at the, the tail end of last year that said, you know, we're not going to put any more uh, construction dollars into the school system until what year was it? It was after his second term would be over. Um, that's not, that's not acceptable either. Mm-hmm. And I know he had to put forth a plan that 
was revenue neutral and stuff like that. So hopefully that was just to meet that requirement and that if we update our facilities plan and update our zoning, that we will get the, the school funding, you know, or the uh, facilities funding resources. Facilities that we need. funding, yeah. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's been a real treat. Uh, yeah, thank yeah. you so much for coming. This has actually been really informative, and um, it's really been a pleasure to hear your yeah. views on these things. Yeah, thanks a lot. So, as always, you guys, we had a great discussion today. We learned a lot. You can engage with us, uh, critique, talk, all that good stuff on all social media, at RVA Dirt. We appreciate your feedback, comments, and blah, all that stuff. We love it. As always, Flint still has dirty water. Sure does. RPS is still not fully funded, and Ooh. Richmond is still racist, but we're working on it. See you next week. You have been listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. This year, WRIR turns 14, so make sure that you grab a ticket for our 14th birthday party at the Renaissance Ballroom this Friday night, 7 p.m. Yeah! Guess what? What? The lovely ladies of RVA Dirt, that's us, are the MCs. Okay! Or mistresses of ceremonies, if you prefer. You don't want to miss out on that, so go to WRIR.org, grab your ticket, and come join us for a celebration of all things Richmond Independent Radio. Let's get this mother crook!